Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. So glad to see you guys all on this beautiful Sunday. I, uh, for those who don't know me, I am Pastor Daniel, and I get the honor and privilege of sharing tonight. And I am excited. Uh, I can't try to remember how long ago I started diving into this idea that all of us are called to pass on our faith. Uh, not like pass, like, hey, don't give it here, but pass, like, I'm supposed to share this and I'm supposed to pass it on. As a father, there is no relationship more important for me to pass on my faith than to my children. But as a follower of Jesus, I am called to pass on my faith whether I have kids or not. I am called to be a light. We call it the Great Commission where he goes, hey, go and share the gospel. Go and spread it. So whether you're a, um, a mother, a father, a grandparent, mentor, a person of influence, a person who comes in contact with others, a follower of Jesus, um, who um, if you have contact with other people, if you're always hiding from people who don't yet know Jesus, this is for you. And so we started this message the other day, and if you missed it, uh, I'll give you a, 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 a little, little bit of a recap. So if you're taking notes, uh, here is your recap. You're going to get the points, and if you want all that I explained with them, then you get to go back and watch it, and the beauty of today is you can. You can go back online and watch things. But number one, if you want to pass on your faith, you need to be on purpose and involved. It is so easy in our society today to try to sub things out and to go, you know what? Hey, the school will do this for me. Or hey, you know what? The church has got this, so I don't need to. Or, and it's so easy to try to let somebody else do it for you. But we are called to pass on our faith. And it's, it was a shocking thing how many times, I was a youth pastor for about 12 years, how many times parents would go, well, I brought them to you, so that's it. And they were like, I passed off my responsibility. But if we read Ephesians, it says that pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, our job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's not our job to get paid by the saints to do all the ministry. It's our job to equip the saints. We are called to be like a coach that helps uh, equip the team to win the game. And sometimes in our society, it gets backwards and they're like, no, you're the player. And, and, and the church is supposed to be on the, in the cheering section. Like, no, no, that's, that's not how it works. All right, number two, model it. We need to model our faith if we want to pass it on. And not only do we model it, we need to invite them to participate with us. It's a really important point, but if I get into it, it's a whole message. So, and then we need to correct and redirect our kids. We need to correct and redirect those that we have a relationship with. It is not loving to let somebody hurt themselves. It is not loving to watch someone go, they're going to crash in 10 seconds. No. That's, that's ludicrous. The world sits here and goes, friends don't let friends drive drunk. Why? Because it's unloving to watch them destroy themselves and others. Yet our culture says, if you disagree with me, you're not loving. Which is a contradiction. 
Because if you love me, you, for real, you love me enough to say something. You, you, you love me enough to help me grow. And those that we have a relationship, if you walk up to a stranger and go, hi, you have issues, that's not going to go over well. I mean, like, there's some stuff that they might appreciate. And if you're like, hey, you're about to go on stage and your fly's down, they're like, oh, thank you. Thank you for telling me. Um, but the, the more core of an issue it is, the more you may need to have a relationship with them. But if we want to pass on our faith, we have to be willing to take those things on. All right, number four, where we're picking up tonight. Blessing and affirming your children or, or, the, or individuals in the direction that they should go. Uh, I, was, I was looking and I'm like, all right, as I started, as you, as you dive into the word and you go, who is the best example that we can find of a parent? I thought about it, I'm like, well, the Bible calls God our father. So let's look at God, our father, and go, what can I learn from him as a parent? And because... Uh, Jesus was born of Mary and lived with Joseph. You don't see a ton, but you see a couple interactions. You, you hear God speak out of heaven to Jesus just a couple of times. And you go, okay, well, if it's only a couple of times that I get to hear, what did he say? What, what did he say? So we dive into this and we look and in Matthew chapter three, verse 17, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I looked at him, like, right here, he affirms him, he confirms his identity, and he speaks life over Jesus. In Mark 9, 7, a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And as we read this, we look and we go, God the Father spoke over his son's identity. He spoke life over the son. And it's really easy to verbalize our frustration and silently approve. But our, our speaking life, our, our affirming in the right direction is so important. There is a battle for affirmation that is happening in our culture. There is a whole inside of humans that says, I want to be valued and validated and I want to win. So tell me when I'm winning. And our culture, instead of going, has gone to such an extreme, they go, instead of telling me how to win, just tell me I'm a winner. And they're like, well, but, but you're losing. Just tell me I'm a winner. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. Don't tell me that they're beating me. Just give me a trophy and call me a winner. <laughs> but you came in last out of everybody. Just give me a trophy and call me a winner. Like, this is this thing, and, and we see it in areas that we can laugh about, and you, you see it in these different sports and different things, but it becomes a serious issue when they're going to go, I just want to live however I want to live, and you just need to affirm it. You're like, what? but it's wrong. But I, I can't affirm that, but I do need to affirm the right things. I do need to look and to go through and to speak life. Uh, I need to correct 
in a way that separates them from the issue. Because I can sit here and go, you're an idiot. You did that. Now, do they feel like a winner? Do they feel empowered to win? They now feel like they have a new identity of idiot, of loser, and then they will begin to live out of that identity. When we have an image of ourself, we begin to live out of that image. And it's so powerful then when we speak and we go, hey, you are really smart, but that wasn't smart. That's not you. That's not who you are. You think before you speak. You're a man of character and integrity. You have a heart that wants to do what's right. And when you begin to speak this life and you begin to separate, you may have to call out the issue and go, this was not okay. And that's not who you are. And it it changes things. I mean, you can look. Having an identity and having your identity be accurate are completely different. But we will live out of the identity that we believe of ourselves. If you look, and there's some great examples in the Old Testament, looking at Moses and Gideon, they thought they were losers. And as long as they thought they were a loser, do you know what they did? Nothing. They lost. You see this like years of insignificant. And when God shows up and is like, I'm going to use you, and they're like, no, not me. You couldn't use me. I am a loser. Like they literally, I guess they didn't say I'm a loser. He said, I come from the smallest tribe and the weakest family, and I'm the weakest. Daniel translation, I'm a loser. Like this just, that was his identity. And God shows up, and the angel shows up. He's like, you mighty man of valor. And he just speaks life over him. And he's like, where? He's like, but I'm not enough. And God goes, that's all right. You'll be with me and I'm enough. And as he began to get his confidence in him, in God, and you watch, if you read through Gideon's story, there is a shift as he's starting to go, okay, I'm getting some confidence in God. And finally, when he gets an image that goes, no, I, I am not a wimp. I am not a loser. Finally, he's done, he's done all sorts of weird stuff and like, hey God, I'm going to put out a piece of fleece and if this is really you, make the fleece wet and the grass dry. Comes out in the morning, the grass is dry, the fleece is sopping and then he's like, is that normal? God, if that's really you, maybe I just called this one backwards, can you reverse this tomorrow? And I, I might have which one came first, whether it was the wet fleece and dry grass, which one he did first. But then he goes through and sees it and he goes, all right, I'm going to obey. But still he's petrified. Still he's like, I don't think I've got this. Finally, God goes, hey, if, if, why don't you go to the enemy camp and listen? He gets to the enemy camp and the guy's telling him about this weird dream. He's like, dude, I had this dream and there was this loaf of barley that rolled into our camp and like smashed it and he's like, That's weird. And his friend, instead of going, hey, that's weird, you had pizza, you discovered pizza? He's like, no. His his friend looks at him and goes, well, that's none other than than Gideon and starts like prophesying that Gideon's gonna like destroy him. And Gideon's like, yeah, I am, yeah. And he comes back and he's all charged up and he is ready for God to use him. 
You're like, this is crazy. And when he saw what God saw, all of a sudden he was ready to do what God called him to do. And you can look at Moses and we can break down Moses' years, 40 years, that gets less than a chapter. It gets like a couple of lines. I guess it gets a paragraph. It's like he left Egypt in a, you know, thinking that he failed and that he was a failure. And you get like his encounter. He meets his wife, meets his father-in-law. He watches sheep. 40 years. He watches sheep because he's like, I don't have what it takes. And God shows up and God's like, I'm going to deliver them. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to use you. And he's like, no, couldn't use me. Not me. I don't have what it takes. I, and excuse after excuse after excuse. And God goes, I'll be with you. Who he's like, but I can't talk. And God, well, and God's like, who made your mouth? And God began to speak over him. And he had to have a revelation of God and who God made him to be. We get to speak life over people. We get to speak life over our children. It shapes things. And it's not just amongst our kids. I have watched this with adults I've watched it in sports. Play, I used to lead a group here that played volleyball, led that group for about a decade. And it'd be amazing. You would watch people play and you could see the effect of the rest of the team's words. If the rest of the, someone makes a mistake, if the rest of the team goes, hey, that's all right, you'll get it next time, you've got this, you watch them hold their head high, their shoulders up, and they stay ready and they stay in the game. But when the team turns on each other and starts going, it's all your fault and you messed up, and they start ripping into each other, the team can be better than you and you're going to watch them fall. You'd watch certain players that you knew had an incredible game, skill, and a horrible mental game. And I watched teams that were half as skilled beat them because they started to turn on each other. And it got in their head and destroyed them. But when we speak life, it changes things. And I, I begin to think about this with my children. and said, what? If you ask my kids in 15 years, what did your dad say to you? What will they remember? And it's a really powerful question because we say a lot of things, but what relationships matter to you? And if I was to fast forward 10 years and say, hey, what did they say to you? They're going to have forgotten a lot of things, but what are they going to remember? And I, as, I, as we look at this, I looked at myself and said, what did my dad say to me? What do I remember? And in my life, I have had more conversations than I can count with my dad. But I, as soon as I, like, I, I wrote the question, I looked and said, I don't know, from the time I was like this high, he'd look at me and say, hey, do you know what I like about you? And as a really little kid, you're like, no, I don't know. And he'd be like, everything. And then finally he figured out, like, hey, I got the answer to this question. Do you know what I like about you? I'm like, yep, everything. And he, I don't know how many years, and I don't know what age he stopped saying that, but that's been more than 15 years, and that's what I remember. But as we ponder this, thought, hey, what did, what did my grandfather speak into my father? And it wasn't words of life. And I, I have heard him share the story of when he went to help 
He was in the garage and his dad was underneath the car, needed a tool, and asked for a tool by name that he'd never educated dad on. And when he brought him the wrong tool, instead of going, nope, the tool that you're looking for looks like this, or getting out from underneath the car and then going over and going, hey, this is a, a wrench, this is a socket, this is a, what, going through the list, he insulted him and said, hey, you're dumb. You're never going to fix things. You're never, and he, and he spoke negative words over him. And for years, my dad didn't fix things. Still doesn't like to fix things. <laughs> He's laughing into that. <laughs> there was a season where he did some because the, the money wasn't there to pay somebody else. So he had to learn some. But he was so intentional to make it different for me. I, I still remember, I don't know, if I even have my driver's license yet, and he's like, you know how to back things, trailers up. Like, you can back up a trailer. And I learned some with the, the mower, and we did stuff there. Was I the best backer upper? No. But my dad said I could. So you know what I can do? I can back up a trailer. Like, what's the space? I'll get it in there. Like, I remember backing in a trailer, and so, like, we, we'd get it to the house, and I, this time I was probably late in high school, and the boat needed to go into the barn. He's like, you've got this. You're better at this than me. There was two inches or less on either side, but you're like, you know what? That's all right. Dad said, I can do it. <laughs> I got this. Somebody else believes in me. This is who I am. I got this. I just need a spotter on both sides because it's hard to see both sides, and it's going to have to go straight back because there is no margin here. But there was so much power. And it's true when they're your children, but it's true beyond that. We, we have so much power with our words and we are called to speak life. And people gravitate to where there's life. Do people gravitate towards us or do people run from us? Do they see us coming and go, not again? Or they sit here and go, hey, man, they're going to encourage me. Man, they're, they're going to speak life over me. And when you have people, whether it's backing up a trailer, whether it's in their faith, whether it has to do with uh, bicycling, it doesn't matter. If you'll find people around you that will encourage you and go, hey, you've got this. Hey, you know what? That wasn't the best way, but you can do this. Try again. You have it. You'll watch life begin. You'll watch respect grow. You'll watch influence grow and then want to push in that direction. The world is pushing going, can we affirm the wrong things? Because if we do, people will go the wrong way and they can be confident in that wrong direction. It's important that we affirm, but not that we just blanketly go, you're breathing. Let's affirm everything that you did because that's not wise. That's not healthy. That's not loving. If I affirm you into hell, that's not loving. If I affirm you into a brick wall, that's not loving. If I affirm you into your interview going, hey, you've got this. Okay, anyone ever watch any of those like who's got talent or singing, thing, things where they like try out to sing American Idol or anything? They had, there are some of them who can sing. There are some of them who had unloving people who just blanketly affirmed them. They get in there and they're like, I can sing. Everyone tells me I'm a great singer. And then they start and they're like, oh, God, everyone lied to you. That was not loving. You have just now made a fool of yourself. 
But, but we need to speak life. We need to affirm them. And this is, I'm calling this a half a point. This is a sub point here. Put your money where your mouth is. Uh, and really, it goes beyond money, but it goes resources. As I begin to think about things that I got into, the people, most of the things I got into, somebody else paid the price for me to start. There's few things that I started that I paid the, like, I have never golfed. Like, I, I have, like, gone to the driving range for someone's birthday, but I have never gone golfing. And you're like, why? It's expensive. I can find other hobbies I already like that are cheaper. Why spend the money? But you know what? A lot of the hobbies that I have, they're cheaper because somebody else started me and they paid the first bit. I, I look at hunting. I love to hunt. I am an adult. I have been an adult for a long time. Most of my hunting stuff, still to this day, came from my folks. My, my dad started me and he's like, you know what? I'm, I, I believe in this. I value this. So he bought me my first bow. I had to buy another one eventually. But nonetheless, the, I used the bow that he bought me for like 15 to 17 years before I bought another one. Half of my clothes came from him before that. And then the other half, most of them came from Christmases where I'm like, hey, dad, still, you guys want to get me something? This is the hunting gear that I need. And, and, and they, they spoke into it. When I got into cycling, I don't think I'd have got into it if it hadn't been for a friend who invited me, who, who modeled it, who invited me, and then he, he supplied. He goes, oh, you need some stuff? Hey, I've got, you need some kits. Kits are, are like the, the gear and the shorts that are padded and all that. He's like, they're expensive. I've got some old ones in a tub that aren't being used. Hey, here's some. And as I got into it, and he introduced me to some, some other friends like, oh, hey, what do you need? Hey, yeah, let me, let me, hey, I've got one in my closet that's not being used. Here, you take this, you take this. And they, they made some resources available to help me get into it. I look as I'm getting my son into some of the stuff and I'm, and I'm looking, trying to help equip him. Are we placing the resources to help the people around us know Jesus? This is a nice Bible. This is a very nice Bible. My first Bible came from my parents. This one, my wife, I have a lot of Bibles and I have worn some of them out, quite a few of them out. So my one that I love that I carried around everywhere was a gift from my wife. I have glued it together three or four times. It keeps wearing out. And finally, my wife was like, you need a quality Bible. I'm like, but I love my Bible. She's like, you need, you need a nice one. Because dad said that the difference between the nice one and the semi-nice one is how many times you can read it and it stays together. And so for Christmas last year, my wife's like, hey, I want, I want to get you one, but a really nice one's expensive. So you know what she did? Asked my folks. We're like, ah, yeah, we believe in that area. Let's put some, our money where our mouth is. And they teamed up and got me this for Christmas. I love it. I talked to parents I was talking to a dad the other day, and he's, he's talking about his kid's travel ball. He spent thousands of dollars on travel. There's like, there's the, the cost of being on the team, but the games are never close. That's why they call it travel. 
So then you're taking trips with the whole family to watch the other kid play a game and you're like five states away and you're getting a hotel and you're driving and all that. And you're like, it's ridiculously expensive. Why? Because they believe in something. What about when your kid needs a Bible? What about when your kid wants to go to kids camp? What about when they want to get involved in something that youth are doing, the church youth are doing, and it's inconvenient to drive them there. We drive them across the state for a sporting event. We drive them across town. Will we arrange our schedule for it? Because the amount of families who go, you know what? Hey, I know you want to go to church, but we just want to go to the lake with our free time. So they won't make it a priority, but when the kid has a game, they make it a priority. What about if you don't have kids? I was talking to someone the other day who's telling me about their faith and about how they started and how they got connected here. And they said, the college pastor met me and invited me. And I said, hey, that's cool. That's great. I can't come. I don't have a car. He said, I'll pick you up. And he didn't live close. But he drove week after week and he brought them and it changed a life. And like, how many people would come if you'd invite them and put your resources there and go, hey, oh, I, can, I don't know if I can make it. Uh, and, and the excuses people have is like, honestly, is endless. And it's like, I don't have gas money. I don't have this. Okay, no, I'll pick you up. I don't know anybody. Well, that's all right. You know me. I'll save you a seat. Will we put our effort and our resources there? Because so many of the things that we pick up are because somebody else fronted the bill. Somebody else started us. Somebody else got us hooked and said, you know what? Hey, I will pay to take you with me. I will give you some of my gear. I will loan you some of my stuff. I will, and when I have given away Bibles, I have helped people, I've bought Bible people, Bibles for people because you're like, hey, you don't have, you need, and there, you don't have to go buy everyone a Bible. A lot of them want to buy their own. A lot of them don't need you to, but will you take your time and your resources and go, this is important. So I'm going to bless you with it. I'm going to bless you with my words. I'm going to affirm you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make this a priority with, with my, my finances. I'm going to affirm what's right. Number five, point number five. Stop the compromise now. In Exodus, in the Judges, there is this crazy story. As they're heading into the promised land, you see God tells me, he goes, hey, you should make no covenant with the people uh, of the land, nor with their gods, nor shall uh, they dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their God, it will surely be a snare to you. This command, roughly phrased, comes up in Exodus 23, verse 30 to 33, Exodus 34, 12, Deuteronomy 7, 16, and it talks about it in Joshua 23, 13. Also in, in, so it just keeps coming up. So I start looking, and I'm like, they get this command from God that they are supposed to eradicate the land of its inhabitants. There should, they should not be there, and if they do, it will be a snare. But, once we move on, 
In Judges chapter 1, verse 28, it says, When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. It's like God gave them a command, and they figured that halfway was close enough. They go, hey, we, we, we turn them into workers for us instead of driving them out. You know, like, hey, this is, this is like, kind of like smarter, man. I, I know you said to drive them all the way out, but now we're getting some work out of this. And, and they thought they found a way around it. And when you read the story, at first, nothing seems to happen. They seem to get away with it. In fact, if you read into Judges, this, this generation that came in with Joshua followed Followed God, but uh, when, when you go on, it sits here in Judges chapter 2, verse 12. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after the other gods from among the gods of the peoples who surrounded them and bowed down to them and provoked the Lord, Lord to anger. The compromise of the fathers became the downfall of the sons. Just because we survive our compromise doesn't mean our kids will. Uh, my, my mother, I think, says it this way. She says, the compromise of the parents becomes the normal for the children. It's so easy to let things into our life and to go, you know what? Well, I, I think I can handle it and to think that's the end of it. But what we don't realize is that when we let it in, we have let it in. And it's going to do something. And, and it's not just this massive thing here. It's our view of authority, our view of alcohol, our view of lust, the ways that we speak, isolation, pride, lack of planning, it being planted in God's house, our priorities, anger management, pursuit of money or pleasure, or even our eating habits. They all shape and can shape and cause the downfall of our children if we let them slide in our life. If we go, you know what? I think I'm strong enough. I can handle it. Uh, my dad got to pick on me for a lot of years from the pulpit, so it's my turn. All right, so no, I love my dad. My dad is phenomenal, but he, he is still human. And one of his... <laughs> Mom laughs from the back. So growing up, dad had an area of his life that was not ideal. His driving was to say that he drove fast does not do it justice. And he drove fast from the time that I could remember and until he got a car that gave him his instant mileage all the time. And then it became like a contest to see how good a mileage he got. But from all of my like growing up, he drove ridiculously fast. And so to me, that was normal. Speed limits were suggestions and tickets were the price to drive fast. Like it wasn't not a, a right and wrong thing. This was just my, my concept that I picked up. I remember... There was a time when my folks got a vehicle that had this like computer that they could like check on later and it would tell them what the vehicle's top speed had been. And my mom read it and she's like, what? I, I, got in the, I went in the car and it said that your top speed was 114. And I was like, yeah. So like the car doesn't go any faster than that. Like that's as fast as it would go. <laughs> so you can't drive that fast. Why not? 
because that was the compromise that was in his life, that was the normal that was in mine. Why wouldn't I drive that fast? And it wasn't until I went to college and was reading, and I'm like, hey, this, there's this verse that talks about honoring the governing authorities. I'm like, oh, wait, that's a, that, that oh, crud. <laughs> I've been messing up. Um, but when we let it slide, it's normal to them. Why wouldn't they? And I've talked to parents, and they're like, well, I don't understand why. And you're like, well, you've been struggling with alcohol, and you've made it normal. So why would they avoid it? We sit here, and uh, there are so many of these areas that are in our life. How are we modeling this? Are we letting the compromise in? Are we letting in, going, you know what? I'm going to watch this movie. I know it's got some stuff in it, but it's not like it's actually considered pornography. Yes, they're doing the same things that they do in the porno, but nonetheless, it's not actually. And then we go, how did they get hooked on this? We, we sit here and we yell and scream inside the house and then wonder why our kids yell and scream and talk back. And there's areas in our life that we've been like, you know what, I, I think I can handle it. But can they? And some go, well, I don't have kids. That's all right. We still have to stop the compromise. When, when we let it in, we begin to lose influence. And people sit here and go, yeah, you've got faith, what good did it do you? Where can I see it? You live just like me. But when we sit here and go, you know what? I'm going to deal with these things. And I can survive it isn't enough. I want to honor God with my life. And when we make that change, our influence increases. Our ability to pass on our faith increases. And we can remove the snares rather than pass them on to the next generation. And if, if there's some in your life, you may have to look at your, to somebody and go, hey, this is not an easy thing for me to remove. I need help. And maybe a friend, and maybe your spouse. If you think that you're perfect and you're married, there's a great conversation that you can have with your spouse. Um, but just be prepared for an answer. If you ask them, hey, is there anything that I'm doing that shouldn't get passed on? Be prepared for an answer. If your spouse asks you, be nice. You can, you can answer them nicely and go, yes, there is. How many do you want to work on at a time? <laughs> uh, you don't have to lamp, like blast them with, I've been waiting 20 years for you to ask me that. Like, no, like, um, be nice. But, if, we, if you can't see your spot, if you don't know where you're struggling, then the spots that you're struggling are blind spots and you need somebody who's close enough to you, who cares enough about you to, to help you see them. And to go, hey, you're doing awesome. However, the way that you're responding to them 
is super emotionally high and emotionally charged, it's not healthy. You need to bring it down a whole bunch of octaves. You need to bring it down a lot of decibels. Bring that volume down. Have the same conversation, lower decibels, and it's going to allow them to receive from you for years more. Just simple things. Or not so simple things. Hey, the movies that you're watching aren't things that you want to be modeling. Hey, the standard that you have here is lacking. Hey, the words that you use aren't godly. Yeah, maybe that's how everyone at work talks, but that's not how you should talk as a Christian, and it's not how you want to pass it on. And you want them at work to see that, you, see that you're different? Then stop reflecting them and start reflecting the Bible to them. And there's, there's a lot of room. But if we want to pass on our faith, we need to let it be seen and we need to stop the compromise. And if we want to pass on our faith, we need to have faith. <laughs> the, the, the simplest and I've got a lot more and we're going to carry on. We've got a guest speaker next week, but we'll carry on some of the next couple weeks looking at how to pass on our faith. But we need to know if we're going to pass on our faith, we need to have it. Peter and John were asked for gold. He said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He goes, I may not have the money to give, but I have my faith and I can give it. Do you have a faith worth passing? If not, you can. Jesus says, the Bible says he stands at the door of our heart and knocks. He says, I want a relationship with you. And if you don't have a relationship with him, or you say, you know what, I know who he is, I've been at church for years, but I have not surrendered my life. I am not living for him and I want to start. Then I want to invite you into that relationship today. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we're going to say a simple prayer. We're going to call on his name. And I invite you to pray this with me. If you've done it before, then just join us as we declare him to be Lord. If you say, today I want to make him my Lord, then pray this from your heart. And afterwards, I give you a chance to, to say, that was me. So I'm just going to ask everyone to join me. Say, God, thank you for loving me. Even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that his blood paid the price for my sins, that he rose again, victorious over death, sin, and the devil. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King and my Lord. And I will no longer live for myself. I will live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.